much like Bill Gates creeping on the girls in the office, we're back with some real niche content. It was an island, Andy. A private island. Oh, that's a whole other episode. (laughs) Well, maybe Bill Gates thought the private island was Africa. And he misunderstood when Jeff told him that they were going to the cradle of life. It was an underage sex traffic victim, not some vague reference to Mesopotamia. I mean, I get it. Really, though, we should uh, we should talk about the Gates Foundation in Africa, specifically around agriculture. Yeah, he's been involved in some other stuff going on around vaccines and AIDS, some good and some bad. But I don't think I can do another episode on Bill after this. I mean, that's fair. I've thought about Bill Gates way too much lately. Way too much. So obviously he's involved with Agra, but he's also invested in a bunch of other stuff. And we've hinted at that in the first half of this episode. One of the other organizations is called the N2 Africa Project, which started in 2009, right on the heels of Agra, which is oriented towards a modernization agenda. So basically, they're selling the benefits of legumes for soil health, which obviously is a good thing, but a common thread under capitalism is to use the soil health and nutritional benefits to justify investment for production for, you know, external markets. Sure. And I will say, while having stuff that people will buy is good for local economies, I'm guessing that's not the case in this instance. Yeah, when we talk about external markets, it's usually not local. And in that process, the local legume crops and varieties that are within existing seed banks and have been grown for generations in these ecosystems are being bypassed in favor of those imported commercial varieties that are developed for like industrial feed and processing markets. There it is. So not only does this not really solve any of the local food security issues, it also threatens local varieties that African farmers and consumers prefer impacting the affordability of foods, local nutrition, and cultural cooking practices. Well, thank goodness, in addition to being an unsuccessful program, it's also ruining everything else. We'll call it Microsoft Colonialism Pro and add it to the suite. Just charge seventy nine ninety nine, and there you go. But actually, it's not just that the Gates Foundation does everything in the name of profits. We did this episode to inform you that this gets much worse. Yeah, it gets worse. These are basically rookie numbers at this point. The Gates Foundation also invests time and money to impact how laws are written. The foundation is working to fundamentally restructure seed laws, which protect certified varieties, but criminalize non-certified seed. This is particularly problematic for small-scale farmers in Africa who nourish their families and their communities through seeds that are not certified. Yeah, that's not great. And I feel like we're just a couple of bad jokes from Bill going full Lorax and walling the city, aren't we? I mean, I won't say yes, because that seems like we'll get a cease and desist order, but I won't say no either. Now, according to SafeSide, that organization that had this big call-out letter that they wrote to Bill Gates and all of the donors for AGRA, their climate justice coordinator, Gabriel Menyangatse, end quote, We've seen from its initiatives in Africa that the Gates Foundation puts its full faith in technological fixes without seeking to address the vitally important issues of morality and political economy involved. As such, the foundation's approach supports a dominance of multinational corporations over African-led food production systems. And in the Gates Foundation's unwillingness to listen, we see a self-confidence bordering on arrogance 
exactly the kind of white savior mentality of colonialism that Africa neither needs nor wants, end quote. And I'm assuming this is inclusive of Agra and Into Africa and everyone else non-profiting, right? Yeah, all those non-profits that are for some reason just sinking money for no reason at all. The Gates Foundation is involved in so many of these NGOs, their subsidiaries, and using those various platforms not only to create an illusion of diversity, but to also leverage their interests alongside with foreign governments to drive policies and basically play God, the way the Chicago boys liberalized the Chilean economy after Pinochet overthrew Allende. Bill Gates sees the world through technology that- Planned obsolescent technology- very shitty planned obsolescence technology that will somehow fix ecological and economic problems through policy wonk bullshit. Somehow we can take tech and fix things because tech is smart and people are dumb. Technology for him isn't just software. Shitty software. I mean, I still use it though. Shitty software, but GM seeds, petrochemicals, and all the things our current food system is trying to run away from. So what you're saying is that I should be concerned about all the land that he's buying up in the middle of the United States. Oh, absolutely. And while it's fun to tear apart Bill Gates because that gate needs to come down, I do want to stay focused on Agra, not because it's a uniquely catastrophic failure, which, if you haven't figured it out yet, it kind of is, but also because it speaks to a larger problem in the NGO world and most projects in actively colonized spaces. So... Let's take a minute to break down the unique charcuter shitty that is the data picking that Agra has presented. And by data picking, I mean they are really scrounging for anything good. I'm sorry, did you say charcuter shitty? What 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 was that? Charcuter shitty? Now I can't say it. I did that so smoothly, I almost forgot I did it. It's basically like, you know, a charcuterie. It's a, a thing of things that are small, like tapas, and they're really enjoyable for like a short period of time, but this is like shitty. So charcuterie shitty. Makes sense. I kind of I kind of get it, but I just don't like that you said it. Just like You all, love I said it. That's no, why you don't like it, you love it. No, I've never liked any of the jargon garbage that you try to come up with. Your garbage. See? How garbage. Do you, how do you like it? I love it. More garbage, less garbage. Your garbage. 2024. Anyways, Acra's been around now for a bit and we've kind of talked about that, the fact that they've been around for 15 years or so. It was only five years ago, however, that they started reporting any of their data. Now, mind you, this is a multi-billion dollar organization. I've worked for nonprofits in my own life that bringing in less than a quarter million still needed to put out annual reports. So the fact that an organization this large with the amount of resources available and public persona, that they didn't have to do any of this is just complete bullshit. And the data is, ready for it? Mm, it's probably a hot doctor double bullshit with a side of lies, animal style. You know, I was going to say it's actually pretty good. I, I call bullshit on my sandwich. Yeah, you're right. It, it's bullshit. I'm sorry. Let's look at some of the things that you think would be important. Like, I don't know, the promise to increase income for farmers so that they could continue to survive. There are no good, consistent measures of farmer incomes at the national level for any of the countries they operate in. Case studies done by our good friend that we talked about in the previous episode, Tim Wise, as well as the folks at Mathematica, look at Mali, Tanzania, Zambia, and Kenya, and their research showed little benefit to farmers' incomes or food security. 
Some even reported a decline as the cost of the inputs put them into debt and yields didn't go up enough to repay those loans. Others reported declining nutrition with declining crop diversity. I guess we could paraphrase that by saying they got the benefits of not dying with the negatives of starving. Love to see it. Love to see it. Yeah, it's great. Great. Everything is swell. That's me kissing my hands. Yeah, go read your funny papers. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Poor Pearls Almanac. This is Andy reminding you that if you're looking for more content outside of the scope of the podcast or sources, recommended readings, or ways to support us, you can find that at poorproles.com. Further, we've expanded our delivery into video content on our YouTube channel, where we're able to show step-by-step how to do many of the processes that we talk about within the podcast. We have also started a Twitch channel where we platform various folks on skills from DIY mushroom production to the various methods to keep land out of the hands of developers. Again, all this can be found at poorproles.com, and we look forward to seeing you over there. Further, the limited data they provide focuses almost entirely on corn with passing references to data on rice. But Agra's mission was to improve food crop productivity overall, not just rice and corn productivity. The evaluation basically replicates one of Agra's key flaws, its narrow and destructive focus on two cereal crops at the expense of other more important and native crops, such as millet, sorghum, cassava, and legumes. All right, so I think this just might be the weed hitting, but is it a mental game to grow like white rice and white corn in Africa to like make a statement? Is Bill Gates playing mind games? Are you trying to suggest that by growing white rice and white corn, he's basically waving giant phallic symbols across the continent of Africa that are white? Like, is this a white supremacy thing? I mean... Is that where you're going with it or no? I mean, sort of. It'd make, it'd make for a good movie. I'm not saying that's what happened, but it sounds like... A, this is, I'd, this I'd, is retaliation. I'd, I'd watch that <laughs> wait, short wait, wait, film. Wait, I, I gotta ask. Was Harambe retaliation... Maybe it could all be connected. Holy shit, we've cracked the case. If I was a conspiracy theorist, I could. I, I you know what? We could, we could, we could make, we could make something happen. We should make a short for Harambe. We'll connect all the dots. We'll get to the bottom of this. You know, everyone said dicks out for Harambe, but they never asked whose dick, and that's really important when you think about it. I know. I, I, I don't, I don't know where to go from here. No, nope. we have gone in a wrong direction. Um, Dumb. Edit that out. What were we talking about? We were talking about um, corn and rice, uh, and the the failures of their their uh, data collection. Um, so yeah, outside of the fact that they only focus on corn and rice, they also fail to include all of the agri countries that are supposedly benefiting from agri's involvement. The new and only evaluation that's been released to the public, and only for a short period of time, refers to only six of Agra's current 11 focus countries, Ethiopia, Ghana, Tanzania, Burkina Faso, Kenya, and Nigeria. And it ignores the countries they haven't even done anything with at that point, even after spending a billion US dollars and more from other countries. So this is where Andy starts to get mad and he starts flapping his arms like a chicken. And I think it's going to be really funny to watch. I know this is the audio media, but it, enjoy it. I'll, I'll emphasize for you. Go ahead, Andy. Thank you. I, I'm looking forward to the performance by Elliot describing this. Now, 
Neither Agro nor its donors has yet provided any evaluation of the initiative's entire history of work since, like, I don't know, when we graduated high school, 2006. The list of references used in the evaluation includes just eight documents, five of which are Agro studies and three of which are just methodological texts. That doesn't seem like a whole lot of research, and I feel like that's less than one study per country if I can count. Yeah, and it should also be a really big red flag that Agra no longer has its outcome monitoring reports available to the public on its website, which Agra posted in 2021, only after a public records request to the U.S. government forced them to reveal them. Okay, so that sounds like, uh, what is it, FOIA, the Freedom of Inter- Information Act, or something like that? Push, push them to post something? Yeah, you know, that's always a really good sign of a effective and proud nonprofit not disclose any of their financial data or backing or anything if they don't have to. The question really should be at this point is, why do we care? What does this all mean? Uh Bill Gates, you want me to answer? I'm going to answer. Bill Gates isn't a good farmer, and collecting data that proves he's a shill is his least favorite thing after paying taxes. That that could be true, yeah. But it also means that Agra's core theory of change, its entire quote-unquote green revolution rationale, has been proved false even in two countries in which the corn yields actually increased. In other words, the rising yields failed to translate into rising incomes for farmers. And improved corn sales alone are not proof that farmer incomes have increased since the Green Revolution package of seeds and fertilizers is more expensive for farmers. And yet, yet, are you ready? It gets worse. Ooh, how? We spent, again, spent a billion dollars not only not feeding people, but destroying native crops and all the local markets that those native crops had. And destroying their food ways. And their food ways, yes. That's what I'm trying to say. And here's where Andy starts to flap a little bit. Yeah, yeah. There's I'm getting like the the chicken shoulder thing going on. He's already doing the neck bob, yeah. (laughs) So you ready for a shock? And I know this is just going to really throw you off your game for the rest of the day. Wealthier male farmers seem to be the main beneficiaries of the money that actually made it to farmers. I know I was shocked to not in Bill Gates's not America, would that happen? As the evaluators from Mathematica noted, in quote, farmers who adopted improved inputs and experienced yield increases were typically younger, male, and relatively wealthier. In particular, male farmers with larger dwellings, access to electricity, greater total land holdings, and lower rates of disability were more likely to adopt improved maize varieties and inorganic fertilizer and engage with extension services. In addition, productivity and income gains were also concentrated among these relatively high-resource farmers. End quote. Take it in. Just breathe. Let it really fill your soul. I think I broke Elliot. So this seems like it's helping the average farmer in Africa, I guess, like on paper. Exactly. Like, you know, young male wealthy farmers are the average Joe Sixpack of Tanzania. Like, this is who it is. They can see Russia from their house. So much for prioritizing poor women farmers and the youth, like the program had started out to in its mission statement originally, right? Right? It's almost like their mission statement didn't mean anything, right? Right? 
I'm not imagining that, right? And in their recommendations, those same evaluators stress this, calling on Agra to, in quote, expand gender and youth inclusion efforts, end quote. I know this is a shock, but this directly contradicts the stated goals of the organization. I know. I know. I was shocked, too. So why is the Gates Foundation doing all of this? They are the primary financiers here, right? Uh, so do you think this is, again, like the Egoflex thing? Do you think he wants, like, um, I don't know, some sort of legacy to say he didn't do it for the money? He did it for the philanthropy? He saved the world? Yeah. You know, that's probably a no, piece of it. No, not he saved the world. He saved the third world with technology. With his technology. With Windows Vista. Thank God for Windows Vista. Saved us all. So the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has spent nearly $6 billion on agricultural development programs with a key focus on expanding industrial agriculture, specifically within Africa. We've talked about some of this money, right? But we, we didn't come close to that $6 billion figure. So there's, there's a lot of other organizations that he is involved with, a lot. Now, Grain, a journal published a detailed breakdown of the grants made by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to promote agricultural development in Africa and other parts of the world. And I quote from Grain, our main conclusion then was that the vast majority of those grants were channeled to groups in the United States and Europe, not Africa nor other parts of the global south. The funding overwhelmingly went to research institutes rather than farmers. They were also mainly directed at shaping policies to support industrial farming, not smallholders. The Gates Foundation claims that 80% of their grants are meant to serve African farmers, but of the funding to these hundreds of organizations, a staggering 82% was channeled to groups based in North America and Europe, while less than 10% went to Africa-based groups. The grants are also heavily skewed to technologies developed by research centers and corporations in the North for poor farmers in the South, completely ignoring the knowledge, technologies, and biodiversity that these farmers already possess. Also, despite the foundation's focus on techno fixes, much of its grants are given to groups that lobby on behalf of industrial farming and undermine alternatives. End quote. It's really amazing when the Gates Foundation claims 80% of their grants are going to African farmers, but actually 80% go to research, right? They're like, oh shit, we put the wrong thing in our mission statement. Whoops, how did this happen? It's like that Simpsons meme, the, what the fuck is the business card where he adds the apostrophe and then like the question mark at the end? Thanks. It's the Lionel Hutz, the attorney from the Simpsons. Mm -hmm. No, question, money down, exclamation point, <laughs> that. Yeah, so specifically, the single biggest recipient of grants from the Gates Foundation is the CGIAR. And I know, you're wondering. I've heard a lot of acronyms in the last two episodes, but I haven't heard that one. And there is a good reason for it. It's a consortium of 15 international research centers launched in the 60s and 70s to promote the Green Revolution with new seeds, fertilizers, and chemical inputs. The Gates Foundation has given CGIAR centers at least 1.4 billion US dollars since 2003. Another priority for the Gates Foundation in its funding is to support research at universities and national research centers. Together, all this research gets almost half, around 47% of the Gates Foundation's funding. I don't remember talking about Cigar. What's that? CGIAR? Yeah, so the reason we haven't talked about them is 
they're not an African organization. They're not even in Africa. They're based out of France. So like they, it, yeah, we, we don't have time to talk about CJAR. But what we can note is that they have a lot of other major donors aside from the Gates Foundation, including things like noted terrible groups such as OPEC. So I'm guessing CGIAR is also funded by the standard players, the U.S., European governments, and maybe China through backdoors as well? You know it. This is all stupid. This is all very, like, it's all dumb. It's dumb. It's just yeah. money funnels. Cool. That's cool. It's like, yeah, it's like if you put, like, a giant, like, tarp and put a bunch of holes in it and then put a bunch of like different pipes that went through the holes, but all the pipes went back to the same like bucket. And you're like, why did we do this? Like it's all going from one spot to the other. I didn't get that. And, I, and I, that's what we're doing. You, you lost me that analogy, but uh, I can't wait to play it back and listen to it. Cause that it's, it sounded gross. I was envisioning like sand, like going through a tarp and then going through some like PVC pipes and all going to like the same spot. Like, remember those cartoons when we were kids, like the old 50s, 60s cartoons where, like, it was like hyper-industrialism and, like, they would have, like, all these machines that would be like, oh, we're going to take this giant tree and whittle it down to, like, a toothpick. Like, those kind of commercials. Yep. Remember back in the day? And everything was just so superfluous. That is what we're doing. The point is that, like, these are all funded in a bunch of different ways by the same handful of people. And all of this is focused on transitioning farmers away from traditional seeds and crops to patented seeds, fossil fuel-based fertilizers, and other inputs to grow commodity crops for the global markets, which doesn't benefit local people. Now, the foundation says its goal is to, in quote, boost the yields and incomes of millions of small farmers in Africa so they can lift themselves and their families out of hunger and poverty, end quote. I've said that like six times because it doesn't seem like they give a shit that that's their goal. Now, what we haven't talked about in all of this is that this is all based on the Green Revolution that took place in India, which inspired the first Green Revolution in Africa that didn't work either. So, yeah. Right. And the Indian people after the Green Revolution in India that was started and continued by the Gates Foundation, they probably have, you know, the Indian people and the Gates Foundation have different perspectives on the success of that revolution in India, wouldn't you say? Yeah, you'd be pretty correct on that. And uh, this should be really unsurprising, but the Green Revolution wasn't very green. It reinforced a lot of caste issues, caused a bunch of pollution handed off food systems to corporations. And I don't know if you look at the internet ever, but if you're listening to this, I'm assuming so. You might recall a few years ago, like a million farmers in India marching under like a communist flag, threatening to shut down the entire country. Kind of related. Now, obviously, it's a little bit more complicated than just saying like this happened and now 30 years later or 50 years later, all the Indian farmers are communists. Maybe in another episode, we can talk about it. And I foresee the future, and we are going to die with a backlog of content that you want to cover. Guaranteed. Dude, when I die, I'm going to have a will, and it's going to be, Elliot, here are the 30 episodes we haven't gotten done yet. We have to finish these. Here's the release schedule. And then there's going to be an amendment that's like, Elliot, here's another 25 episodes that we haven't covered. And there's going to be like 15 of those amendments. I mean, I, I think- All the money in the Patreon, just so people know, if I die today- going exclusively to heavily armored vehicles, explosives, and a map to the Gates Foundation headquarters for, you know, research, for science. You idiot. There goes plausible deniability. 
Do you like podcasts about a sustainable future? I mean a really sustainable future, not just one where we try and consume our way out of this mess. You're listening to the Borp Rolls Almanac, so I'm going to assume you do. I'm Scott, and I host the Low Tech Podcast, where we cover our research into DIY, small-scale projects like solar hot water heating, growing potatoes, and loads of other things. When you're done with this episode of the Almanac, why not get the Low Tech Podcast a listen? You can find the Low Tech Podcast on all major apps and YouTube. You can also learn about our nonprofit's research at lowtechinstitute.org. And thanks. Anyways, since I'm not going to die today because I did not talk shit about Hillary Clinton. <laughs> so, like, I, I, I'm good. As long as that's that's the line right there. You don't do that, you're good. Um, against this backdrop of agribusiness and interests and private donors, the biggest, again, being the Gates Foundation, there's basically what critics are calling power plays to solidify control over global agricultural policies through that UN Food Systems Summit. You mean the the summit where the agri-president was rubbing elbows and speaking on the future of food in Africa without any actual African representation present at all? That one? Yeah, that that one where, where the agri-president... Yeah, I remember talking about that. ...was, for some reason, being the only person that anyone cared about and having bas- basically being treated like its own country. These power plays include proposals for implementing food systems designed similar to what we see in India today, which as we just talked about, isn't really great and is based on what we see in places like the US, which in some ways has been successful for very specific reasons. And we'll be covering some of that in a couple episodes. But also this allows organizations to focus on centralizing control over agricultural research centers. And these research centers are also funded by the same standard players through different NGOs. Like an STD and Norgy, you got it. The International Panel of Experts on Sustainable Food Systems described it as, in quote, part of a broader battle of what food systems should look like and who should govern them, end quote. Once you know who the financiers are of these organizations, it's pretty easy to see how these handful of people with different buckets of money to hide the fact that they're dictating everything and have everything to gain from this process. Yeah, and... As much as it would be really fun to just say, follow the money, that is a piece of it, obviously, because that's literally what we're doing right here. There are also some other subtle ways that they're really pushing policymakers. Now, one recent example is the high-level dialogue on feeding Africa that was held in April of 2021. This forum funded by the Gates Foundation, shocked, and organized by a number of Gates Foundation grantees such as the African Development Bank, CGIAR, and AGRA, was meant to launch a policy and funding agenda to further push the green revolution into Africa. So out of all of that, knowing that they're all funded by the Gates Foundation and vice versa, back and forth, it's kind of like Bill Gates funded himself. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird... Through weird collaborations. Yeah, it's like rubbing one out to yourself in a mirror of a mirror of a mirror of yourself. Just weird. I am not going to sit here and say I haven't done that. Well, you can do what you want. This is America. I mean, you just thought you were being random. I've just been been there, man. Hell of a drug. But yeah, so for Bill Gates, it happened to be like 18 mirrors. It wasn't actually 18 mirrors, but the event attracted at least 18 African heads of state and several other high profile personalities. And almost every single speaker at the event, and I know this is going to be a incredible shock to your system, they were all Gates grantees. This symposium to, you know, exchange ideas on the food or the future of food in Africa, they were exclusively people that were financed by Bill Gates. Oh, that that's... 
that's a good thing, right? That's terrible. That's, this- that's a very good thing. And this is why Harambe was shot. It's because he found out. And that is canon now. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. And this is actually how Agra has managed to maneuver itself from not existing 15 years ago to being basically the main player of agricultural policy discussions across the continent. And of course, you know, we always think about Africa as just being like a a continent, but it is a very large, large continent. So we are talking about like, not only a massive landmass or population mass, but all of these things together. And there's no accountability because it's just Bill Gates's money, which is just fucking frightening. So while they're becoming the main player of agricultural policy discussions, the AATF is managing to get legislation adopted to accept GMOs, as seen most recently in Ghana, despite the fact that resistance to GMOs in Africa has remained high. Okay, so you're dropping more acronyms on me, AATF. Uh, Is that more of Bill Gates' money coming back to him through collaborations and organizations and money moves? It's the African Agricultural Technology Foundation, and even by African NGO standards, which if you haven't noticed, it's a really low bar. They're pretty fucked. A 2002 State Department communication says AATF is, in quote, a partnership between, ready for it, USAID. Always allay the funds. (laughs) USAID, the Rockefeller Foundation, Monsanto, DuPont, Dow Agrosciences, Syngenta, and Aventus that will begin operation in 2003 to help develop and disseminate new varieties of Africa-specific crops by assuming licenses from industry, fucking frightening word choice, managing sub-licenses, assuming legal liability for licensed technology, and providing high-quality project management oversight. End quote. Oh my fucking God. Bro, I yeah. thought, hold on. I thought we were getting into niche farming and these guys just took us to school, bro. This is just fucking scary. Uh, if you could like list the worst case scenario for like food policy and food advocates, that would, that would probably be it. We are like three steps away from it's what plants crave with this list. And in all of this, it's easy to get overwhelmed with the way the Gates Foundation is funneling money in a million ways to direct policy. But it's just as important to look at who the Gates Foundation is supporting as who they're not supporting. Uh, Like, remember, the actual farmers, they're not supporting them. Wait, are those real people? I thought they were just like for for photo ops. I mean, have you ever seen one? (laughs) No, never seen a farmer, especially not in Africa. So they must not be real. Now, despite all this money, the Gates Foundation provides zero funding to support farmer seed systems, that is, seeds without any genetic ownership, because what the fuck are seeds for if you can't own their genetic code, which supplies like still 80 to 90% of all the seeds used in Africa. Instead, it provides a lot of funds to initiatives that basically destroy those same seeds. Further, the Gates Foundation props up biofortification as a solution to malnutrition, taking funds and attention away from much more practical and culturally appropriate efforts to improve nutrition by enhancing on-farm biodiversity and people's access to it. Over the last decade or so, the Gates Foundation has given $73 million to biofortification initiatives that essentially seek to artificially pack nutrients into single crop commodities. Right. And it's not like they're just like it's not like they're fortifying nutrients, though. They're trying to cram nutrients in there to make it viable, which it's clearly not, right? Yeah, I mean, they're trying to put, they're trying to make it so that people don't have vitamin deficiencies, which is good. But 
vitamins are things that we ingest in incredibly small quantities. If we have a, a decent diet, we don't need biofortification because they're not something that we should ever need to fortify. It raises a, a larger question of why do we suddenly need fortification? Like if people have existed on the earth in these places before and have continued to exist for you know at least thousands of years, what the fuck happened? That should be like the first question instead of biofortify foods. There's a place in time for them, but that place in time should be for like emergencies, not for day to day living. It's like the agricultural equivalent of like electric cars. It doesn't really address those fundamental issues of how we're doing things. And it treats the idea of sustainable agriculture as being impossible. So, so much so that we need to put fake nutrients in crops. So how is all of this not a conflict of interest with the likes of Monsanto and the Gates Foundation? They're trying to push in a propaganda campaign for their interests through foreign nations like political systems. Yeah, this seems like it should be like very illegal, right? The Gates Foundation not only like has investments in technology because Bill Gates, but also they have about 23 million in equity in Monsanto alone, which I know for an organization of that size is not a lot, but that still seems like a conflict of interest. We've only scratched the surface of the NGOs the Gates Foundation is funding in Africa. And this whole point wasn't to talk about the Gates Foundation. It's just really hard to do this without talking about the Gates Foundation. And they're actively working to give grants and direct educational policy to advance the technologies and the things that they believe in, which is Monsanto. And they're pushing for those things to get used. So the real beneficiaries of AGRA which is designed to help Africa, are the multinational firms that actually sell the seeds, the fertilizers, and the technologies. Yeah, basically. A former Monsanto executive, for example, drafted the initial seed policy reform in Malawi, which threatened to make it illegal for farmers to save, exchange, and sell their own seeds. Oh, yes, to help the farmers, because that's what Agra was set up to do. Or Listen, if you own your own seeds, it's really bad for you. I, I promise. Trust me on this. I am not African, but I know. Yeah, it's, a, it's illegal. You'll go to jail. I mean, that's why it's bad for you. Yeah, because you'll go to jail. It's totally bad for you. <laughs> we'll put your whole family in jail if you don't use our seeds. Yeah, and then you'll starve anyway, so who cares? Now, like we said, we've already seen the scenario play out. Warnings from the first Green Revolution have gone practically unheeded by the major stakeholders in Africa, arguably because they actually don't think anything went wrong in India. Now, much of India is moving away from its green revolution past, doing things like trying to address the damage to soil and water and excessive exposures to pesticides and declining income for small-scale farmers. Many are actively moving toward agroecology and organic farming, and some African, like actually African-led organizations are quickly learning from their Indian counterparts as they advocate for their own agroecology programs. <laughs> Shameless plug, I've got a podcast to recommend to them. Is it the Bill Gates and Rashida Jones Ask Big Questions podcast? Because it's so good. Are you messing with me? Is that a real thing? I hate that it is real. I hate it. But the point here is that there's still reason to have hope. And no, I haven't listened to it. So that might be why I still have hope. But in a 2015 study, Frimpong and Besner Carr found that smallholder farmers still preferred their own corn varieties 
even when government and development organizations made more advanced hybrids available. As the farmers understood well, their own hardier local varieties of corn were more resistant to drought, required less water, cost less, and required little or no chemical fertilizer. Moreover, unlike hybrids, whose wide leaves obstruct the sun for polycropping, farmers could plant their own corn varieties alongside peanuts, cowpeas, and bambara beans, all nutritious crops well adapted to their local ecology. Fuck yeah, polycrops! Drink shit water, Bill! Drink shit! Yeah, if you haven't seen Bill Gates drink shit water from a giant machine that's gonna save Africa, go on YouTube and watch him be real proud of a quarter million dollar piece of equipment to make water out of poop. But yeah, I agree. I think I think that's a great place to end. So, uh, eat shit, Bill. Eat that Monsanto shit. Drink shit. Drink it. Drink shit. Drink shit, boo. And we're not talking about Bud. But, um, no. Okay. Bud? Budweiser? You think it's shit? Yeah, it's, it's sad. It's tolerable. Isn't it rice water? Rice water. Don't they make it with rice? They do make it with rice. So it's gluten-free? When gluten-free happened, they were like, fuck yeah, drink Bud. Bud.